we are creating our own outcomes, whether we want to admit it or not. Type 2 diabetes and many of the chronic illnesses I listed are stated by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, as entirely preventable illnesses. And we have over 120 million cases of these in the United States right now, and that number is growing. And because they're preventable, it is essentially the outcome of a series of decisions that is made over years and decades. And by waiting until it's broken, we're allowing this process to continue and to, and to ultimately multiply because behaviors rub off on others. And since we're all flying blind, nobody has the feedback until the day they get that diagnosis. Welcome to this episode of Imagine Human, where we connect you with changemakers working at the intersection of science, technology, and social impact. I'm your host, Iris Yan. Last year, there was an estimate that 88 million adults have prediabetes. That's about 35% of the U.S. adult population. One in three Americans alone are prediabetic, and 84% of them don't even know it. Traditionally, there's been a huge focus on using sensors like continuous glucose monitors to track glucose levels for type 1 and type 2 diabetics. As the number of people susceptible to diabetes grows at a drastic rate, our ability to combat this early by monitoring and understanding how our lifestyle and diet affects our ability to break down glucose will be imperative to reducing the negative effects of diabetes in our society as a whole. In this episode, we take a look at a new startup, Levels, and its mission to maintain what it coins as metabolic fitness, and how the company plans to help us monitor and regulate this based on our lifestyle. Our guest, Josh Clementi, is founder and president of Levels. He'll share his incredible journey on his path towards starting Levels from his quest to understanding his own personal burnout when building life support systems at SpaceX. Lastly, we discuss interesting insights you might find around tracking your metabolic health and the potential biomarkers we might be able to track in the very near future. Hey, Josh, it's great to have you on the podcast today. I've been following Levels for quite a long time from the very beginning. Your background is super diverse and inspiring. Can you kind of walk me through the journey that led you to starting Levels? Yeah, Iris, I'm glad to be on the show and thanks for inviting me. So the process of getting to levels was kind of a personal one in, in that I started out, uh, I was working at SpaceX on life support systems development, and it was a super stressful environment. We had a very significant deliverable and schedule as as always in, in tech companies was way behind and we were just trying to to move at the fastest pace possible. And at this point, there's an interesting dichotomy happening where the best career opportunities were happening at that moment. And yet I felt physically and mentally like I was burning out and just incapable almost of capitalizing on them. I, I certainly each day was experiencing these waves of mental and physical fatigue and, and, and generally just was not performing at my best. And that's where it all started was just zooming out and realizing something's off. And each day I'm sort of struggling body and mind to get through this, this really significant an important part of my my career. And and then when I do get home, I, I certainly don't feel on top of my game, so to speak. And for those people around me, it's important to me that that I am. And I want to be always performing well as a, as a friend, as the family member, and as a team leader. So I read a paper called, well, it was, it was a, <laughs> the title is, is not super interesting, but <laughs> it's, it's a paper that was about some, some research from Dominic D'Agostino at the University of South Florida. And he's a ketogenic researcher. And he was demonstrating that in rodents, 
these certain scenarios where the ambient pressure and oxygen concentration can be very high. And this will usually induce a seizure, uh, central nervous system toxicity. And when these rodents, these mice were on a ketogenic diet, which is a diet where the fat ratio is very high and the body starts to produce ketones, which are a form of fat that can cross the blood brain barrier. In this environment, the rodents would, would live five times longer. And that study, which was relevant to me because I was uh, working on developing an oxygen breathing system, was totally mind-blowing to me because it kind of flipped the table over on my perspective on health, which is that if you are physically fit, you are healthy. And this study was showing that diet alone and macronutrient composition can have essentially superpower effects on the physiology. And so as I was reading this research and realizing something feels very off with me, even though I'm a CrossFit level two trainer, I was a CrossFit trainer at the time in good physical condition and assumed that that would be healthy, I didn't feel healthy. And so that led me to start researching more, more comprehensively metabolism, which is the way that our, our cells produce energy from our food and environment. And I just discovered that there's, there's no consensus. There's almost no objective data being used daily. And certainly the research is lacking in ways for people to use their own body's health information to make better choices. And I, feeling so confused and frustrated with my own situation at that time, decided it's time for me to bring objective data into my lifestyle and to know that each day I'm making decisions that are making me better rather than making me worse. And, and I'm going to start with diet because this research has shown me that there is a huge potential for, for diet to drive health and wellness and, and to bestow these capabilities on the physiology that I had not known about. So I started off by pricking my finger to measure blood glucose because glucose is one of the primary energy molecules in the, in the modern human. And over time, I, I really couldn't figure much out with this. Eventually, I read a book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. And that book talked about a device called a continuous glucose monitor. And so I tried to get my hands on one. My doctor said, no, you're not diabetic. You don't need that. And that kind of just redoubled my desire to get one. Eventually, I did. And I quickly found out that I was either pre-diabetic or borderline pre-diabetic, depending on who you ask. And suffice to say that that was the moment that really changed my life. So I now had enough information to know that my blood glucose was oscillating wildly throughout the day. Much of it was around behaviors that I was kind of self-inflicting. And it was totally throwing my energy balance out cognitively and physically. And I now had this data stream and could use it to optimize my own approach. And I, I did so. And that ultimately translated into a realization that this is a technology that can change a lot of lives if we enhance accessibility and improve the actionability of the information coming out of it. So we need to throw data science and really comprehensive behavioral science and UX, UI at this amazing technology. And if we do so, we can change a lot of lives. Wow, that's super compelling, Josh. And it's really important work that Levels is doing. And there's a lot I want to unpack there. You kind of touched the surface on what role you were working at. You were actually an engineer at SpaceX working on life support systems, which sounded like a very intense role. And then you're also in your personal life working as a CrossFit level two trainer. You know, how did you go through that journey of your insights and even go to the lengths of pricking your finger, which is for some probably pretty extreme. Can you unravel that a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, I was, I was actually pricking my finger up to about 60 times a day at, at a certain point. I was, I was getting a little obsessive about it. But that's, that's the thing is that once I kind of latch onto a problem space, and, and certainly in this case, it was very present. It was something I was struggling with in real time. And so having insight into the amount of influence that blood sugar dysregulation and metabolic dysfunction have the, the amount of control that, that this has on our day-to-day -day lives, our quality of life, was shocking to me. You know, as I dug deeper into the research 
it became immediately apparent that this is not something that's just related to diabetes, which I think most of us assume when, when we're when we're talking about blood sugar. The metabolic dysfunction that we see in this country is underlying everything from PCOS, the number one cause of infertility, prediabetes, which without intervention turns into type 2 diabetes, sexual health dysfunction, mood disorders, memory loss, Alzheimer's, which is being called type 3 diabetes, stroke, cardiovascular disease, the list goes on and on. And all of these conditions are growing at an, an increasing rate, especially in, in developing countries. So it became like I couldn't stop thinking about it. The more I dug, the more I kind of lifted the hood, the more evidence was being just cascading out of the research that this is a huge, huge problem and no one's talking about it. And of course, I'm experiencing these energy issues myself and couldn't stop thinking that like I have no way of, of knowing whether or not each day I'm making a good decision or a bad decision. I mean, across the board, like I sit down to eat lunch and I don't know what to eat or why. I have no rationale other than the food tastes good. And I read about it on the internet. You know, it's a, there is no closed feedback loop between the actions I take every day and the reactions my body's experiencing. And that is what was missing for me. And Ultimately, pricking my finger was a start, but it's it's not convenient. It's not, you know, it's certainly not comfortable. And the technology that we we use now with levels is a continuously streaming measurement of my blood glucose with no engagement. It's straight to my phone, and I can then take that raw data and level software combines it with activities like the foods I'm eating, the sleep patterns I have, my activity patterns, and can tell me specifically, give me feedback on whether or not my my choices are positive or negative you know what what direction am i heading with these with these choices and you know ultimately it was a pipe dream at that time when i was going through the process but the speed with which the technology is improving is is kind of amazing and so i think it was exciting <laughs> the reason i kind of stuck with it is just because it was so interesting it felt cutting edge and it also felt so relevant to me and i could see like there is so much potential here if i can find an edge so to speak yeah i think you touch on a really strong point it's almost scary that the individual doesn't have that control and we're in a moment where the individual can look at their health metrics around their caloric expenditure, their HRV, and you're really hitting on that, which is you know expanding and empowering the individual to have access and control to information that really hasn't been available to the broader audience over their own data and understand what's going on, almost doing their own experimentation in a closed feedback loop. So I'm curious, can you dive a little bit deeper into the definitions of metabolic health, metabolic fitness? I know Levels has been at the forefront of taking on that term and really reframing it, not just from you know pure glucose monitoring for just type 1, type 2 diabetics, but to the broader audience. And what do you see as the vision there? You know, historically, and, and there are plenty of good reasons for, for why we are in the situation we're in, in, in terms of like what we pay attention to. In, in other words, we wait until something is broken before we start fixing it. And there's a ton of history there. But when it comes to metabolism, this is not the right way to approach it. Metabolism, which again, I, I, I think I mentioned earlier, but it's basically the sum of the processes that our cells use to turn our food and environment, things like sunlight and, and the nutrients in our food into energy. And this system is underlying our, our overall health and well-being. If our, if our tissues cannot generate and access energy efficiently, they begin to shut down. And we start to see derangements in the activity in our cells and our hormones start to get way out of whack and things slowly but surely start to go off the rails. And we've been waiting until it's totally broken to start measuring and monitoring and attempting to mediate. Now, because of that, we are seeing this slow and steady shift 
towards more and more dysfunction that we're calling different names. And I went through the whole list of just a few, really, of the of the dysfunctions that we have labels for. But the problem with all of this is that we're, again, we're talking about symptoms, we're talking about disease states. It, it's almost like we're waiting for a diagnosis in order to care about it. And the reality is that every day, we're all taking actions. We're, we're eating, we're sleeping, we're stressing, we're exercising, and all of those create a context for our, for our bodies. They influence the hormones that we're experiencing. They change the, the nutrients and energy molecules that are available to our bodies to turn into energy. And we are creating our own outcomes, whether we want to admit it or not. Type 2 diabetes and many of the chronic illnesses I listed are stated by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, as entirely preventable illnesses. And we have over 120 million cases of these in the United States right now, and that number is growing. And because they're preventable, it's, it is essentially the outcome of a series of decisions that is made over years and decades. And by waiting until it's broken, we're allowing this process to continue and to, and to ultimately multiply because behaviors rub off on others. And since we're all flying blind, nobody has the feedback until the day they get that diagnosis. So Levels is taking that concept, that old binary concept, which was you're metabolically healthy until you're metabolically unhealthy. Like one day you walk into the doctor's office and you walk out with a diagnosis. Well, nothing switched. There was no binary switch. It was just that we draw a line in the sand and say, once you cross this line, you're unhealthy. And Levels is now saying, no, we are on a spectrum. And each day, you are going to make choices that will either pull you further towards optimal or further away. And the concept of metabolic fitness is that with focus, effort, and repetition, we can improve our metabolic function. Just the, the way that we go into the gym and we you know, put reps in, lifting weights to, to gain strength, just the way that we practice mindfulness in order to improve mental acuity, focus, memory, concentration, mindfulness. These are the same techniques that can be taken to metabolic health in order to ensure that we're improving each day. And so Levels is entirely focused on recognizing that, again, we are on a spectrum and over time we shift in one direction or the other based on the sum, the compounding interest on the, the decisions we're making each day. And, uh, and this stacks up over a long period of time and people need feedback on the quality of their decisions in order to improve. And, and so, you know, we are the biowearable that will connect you with the, the effects of your lifestyle choices that go deeper than step count and heart rate. You know, this is nutrition and stress. I think that's the key piece, a biowearable that's really for the masses. And you guys are really working on that. And I think that's pretty incredible. So shifting gears a little bit, I'm seeing this kind of split between two types of companies in, in the industry. You have a company like Verda. For our listeners, it's Verda is, is specifically focused on type 2 reversal. And then you have a broader category of companies that are really focused on helping people just attain general better lifestyle and health. And whether that's because people know that through genetic testing or they know that they're predisposed based on their familial history to potentially prevent the onset of chronic diseases. Question for you, what does the future of the space look like in terms of monitoring health and how are you guys actually empowering the individual to use their data? Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting if... <laughs> If you just kind of ask the question to most people, when was the last time that you used your health information to make a decision, you know, a, a lifestyle decision? Most people say that's never happened. We only take our health information into account when we're diagnosed with something. And so what we're going to see, and this is the very beginning, is a transition to the very opposite end of that spectrum, where rather than waiting until things are dysfunctional 
we're going to to kind of have health information that is much more like financial information in the sense that you know you kind of have your bank statement so to speak you have deposits and withdrawals the choices you're making each day you can see the direction of the compounding return on your choices so when you choose the more optimal decision when you choose a little bit more motivational disciplinary action you know you go for that run you avoid that food that you know you you're sensitive to you sleep in uh, to get that that eight hours, you're going to see the benefit of that, and you're, you'll be will be able to project into the future, um, not just where you are today, but where you will be sometime in the future. And much much like we you know kind of have our retirement plans and look years and decades ahead, and financially, you know this is the the way that we will be able to be sure that we're going to. We're going to be in that future and healthy enough to enjoy that retirement, so to speak. And this is going to come down to the proliferation of technologies that go well beyond glucose monitoring. You know, ultimately, there are molecules that can go equally haywire when metabolic dysfunction sets in. And you know, these are these are things from insulin, cortisol, you know, hormones that affect our daily experience, cholesterol, cardiolipid dysfunctions. So there, there's plenty that can go wrong. That is measurable. And right now we're creating, I think, an entirely new space with the biowearable segment that will demonstrate for technology innovators that, you know, people want better information about themselves and they want it right now. This is not something that we should, you know, think 10, 15 years in the future about. And if we can measure molecules with sufficient accuracy in real time, we can create lasting behavior change. So uh, we're going to see a ton of innovation here. We already are behind the scenes. There are uh, plenty of very exciting projects happening, which will bring these additional analytes into a form factor that is entirely convenient and discreet and ultimately beneficial in the sense that it's real actionable data about the way our choices are affecting us. That's kind of how I see the future is that it's not biohacking. It's not, you know, in any sense, just data for data's sake. It's, it is truly like reframing the problem and saying, to go back to the financial comparison, like right now we have a bank account and we're being told don't overdraw, but we're not allowed to look at the balance. And so every day you're making choices. You have no idea how that's affecting you and whether or not you, you've overdrawn the account. And ultimately it can take years and decades for that to, to happen. And the consequences are, are radical and drastic. And you know, we can entirely flip this and each day make choices, little micro optimizations, like taking a walk after an indulgent meal, and we can earn receipts on those on those little micro optimizations. You can get the data, the feedback right away, and that can tell you that worked. What you just did was beneficial. And and that will, you know, by doing so 10, 15, 20 years into the future, you can project a positive outcome for someone. Speaking about micro optimizations and uncovering these even for yourself. Was there ever an instance where you were using levels or during your days of early experimentation where you're like, aha, this is completely different from what I would have expected? I know you have a background as a CrossFit trainer. So was there anything that was like markedly different from what you or I are traditionally conditioned to think about what is healthy? Definitely. So some of my favorite ones early on. I was trying a, a more vegetable-based diet, plant and vegetable-based diet, which I, I do have a primarily, I, I eat a ton of leafy greens and vegetables, and I like to keep things whole food, plant-based primarily. I'm, I'm not vegan. I do eat animal products, but you know, bringing a ton of whole foods in, onto the plate is, is kind of my theory about how to, how to eat the way we're supposed to. And so I was going in, in the other direction, which was that if some of this food is good, a ton must be better. And so in this specific example, I traveled to New York. I was not well slept. I went to an organic juice cart and I got a, a drink that was called health drink and it was celery, green apple and carrot juice, right? It's just a pressed juice, no additives. I, I, I watched the lady prepare it and I was very excited about this healthy choice I was making. And I had my CGM on and I, I drank this juice and about you know 35 minutes later, my blood sugar was well into the diabetic range. It was over 200 milligrams per deciliter and the diabetic threshold 
where you should not exceed this unless you already have diagnosable dysfunction is 180. And so I was well over 200 and I stayed there for over an hour, which is a, is a significant and serious response. And I had no idea that that was going to happen. And it was shocking to me because it was a worse response than I would get from drinking a Coca-Cola or a, a sugary beverage. And that whole realization that, wow, I mean, the mechanism now makes sense where we're taking vegetables and we're stripping out the fiber, which is a matrix that basically delays the digestive process to allow our bodies to, to kind of turn this food into energy. And instead, we're replacing it with just what's in, you know, suspended in, in the water inside the plant, which is sugar. So we're, we're turning vegetables into sugar water. And for me, I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to it. And so some people may be able to process vegetable juice much better than I, but that example, and, and I actually showed the result to, to a girl who worked at the office right across from that juice cart. And she said, like, I, I get one of those juices when I'm trying to be healthy. Like when I skip Dunkin' Donuts Frappuccino or, or Starbucks Frappuccino, that's the drink I get. And, and maybe it's having the same effect on me. And, and so that's just like one example where, you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. But we have this, this culture where juicing anything is healthy, right? Or, or another great example is, is oatmeal. You know, Google the healthiest breakfast. And I guarantee you in the top three will be oatmeal. And the reason for that is that it's a whole grain. Well, it's not really a whole grain. It's actually quite processed. And much of the fiber is stripped away and it's rolled and it's pre-cooked. And often, oftentimes, you know, the instant versions are, are essentially broken down and digested already for you. And so what we found is that about 70% of people who eat oatmeal while wearing a continuous glucose monitor will have the largest blood sugar spike that they experience. And for people who are trying to avoid, and you'll notice on, on oatmeal packaging, it'll say heart healthy because it's a whole grain. Well, Glycemic variability, blood sugar variations, spikes and crashes are extremely inflammatory and they are very closely associated. In fact, they are closer associated with cardiovascular dysfunction than just blood sugar elevations. So spikiness in your blood sugar, a big elevation and a crash repeatedly is more inflammatory and destructive to the cardiovascular system than just a high blood sugar event. So it is possible that people who are eating this every day and do not even enjoy it could be experiencing something that is directly working against their goals of heart health. And, you know, I'm, it's not to say that no one should eat oatmeal. It's just this, this type of personal response, and I can get into the personalization in just a second, but is really important for people who think that they are, they are making choices that are benefiting them. And we have enough examples of this that it kind of flips much of the, the standard approach to, to diet on its head. And it says, like, many of the things we do, we do to an extreme and potentially to our detriment. Right. I think I listened to a previous podcast here on, and I think you and the podcasters were talking about a really interesting study conducted at Stanford where they took a, a very common breakfast diet for Americans, so oatmeal and special K or something of that sort, and the subjects in the study had, had major spikes. So even though there's a personalization element, there's something we can really do across the board to decrease spikes and, and make large gains there. Yeah, that's so. That was the glucotypes trial. Dr. Snyder was, I, I think, led that trial. But it, it's fascinating. It shows the degree to which the yeah the standard food selections can be devastatingly bad for for almost everyone. Interestingly, on top of that, there are some other studies that started back in 2015 with the Weissman Institute trial. But they showed that for people who do not do not yet have diabetes, there is a drastic amount, and even for people that do, there's a drastic amount of individual variability. And we're not entirely sure whether whether this is caused by the microbiome, if it's genetic. If it's body composition, it's, it's not entirely clear, but the degree to which two individuals can vary was really outlined in the Weissman Institute trial, which showed that two people can eat the exact same two foods, in this case, a banana and a wheat cookie, and have equal and opposite blood sugar responses. And that is important because when your blood sugar spikes, and for those that don't yet have diabetes, your body has to release a hormone called insulin. And insulin 
basically tells the cells to get the sugar out of the blood and into the cell and turn it into energy or store it as fat. And insulin, over time, if it is spiked repeatedly, can create an, a situation called insulin resistance where our cells no longer respond to that signal. Essentially, they become numb to the repeated spiking and elevated insulin environment, and they no longer receive that signal effectively. So for someone who thinks that they're making, you know, in this case, the banana and the cookie example, it's a sensitivity most likely to either fruit sugar or grain sugar. And it is very important that, that individuals know which of those people they are, because the implications of spiking their blood sugar repeatedly is that their hormones, their insulin is spiking repeatedly as well. And this can eventually lead to the insulin resistance scenario that precipitates prediabetes, PCOS, and ultimately type 2 diabetes, as I mentioned. So it's really fascinating. And another trial called the PREDICT-1 trials in the UK basically built on that same evidence. And they showed that that effect actually extends to even identical twins who share 100% of their DNA. So it is not strictly a genetic thing. We can't predict based on just your DNA alone, whether you are the banana person or the cookie person. And the reality is that every single one of us is a, a chemistry set. And, and our context, uh, the, the, the way that our bodies metabolize foods is kind of the sum total of our stress environment, our body composition, our microbiome, all of those things I listed. And with the appropriate amount of information, we can navigate this. But without it, we really are flying blind. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because what other tools are there besides glucose monitoring and looking at your microbiome? I'm sure there's more. That's an oversimplification. But there, there really isn't that much out there besides maybe a high degree of self-awareness and, and being very disciplined around tracking your food and then and then gauging how you feel afterward. Yeah. You know, I, th I think that the, the tight feedback loop is really key because without it, we're kind of left to assume or extrapolate based on emotion, you know, a lot of sensing. So for, for example, like the majority of people will determine whether or not a diet is working based on the bathroom scale. So they'll say, I, I'm going to diet, I'm going to cut out X type of food and I'm going to track with the scale to see if that's working. And we can we can tell right away that that feedback loop is very prolonged. It's like and, and oftentimes it's weeks before any weight starts to drop off. And it is not telling you whether a specific meal or a specific lifestyle choice is affecting you. And so, you know, I think the paradigm shift here is that I can sit down and I can eat a meal and within 30 minutes I have the feedback. My body is telling me whether or not this is working out for me. And if I take a walk right after a meal, I can then see my body basically modify that, that blood sugar elevation or that erratic consequence of my, of my meal and bring it back into control very quickly. And so I'm starting to see the effect, the control that I, the individual, have over my body's circumstances very quickly. Sleep is another massive one. So there's a ton of research on the effects of sleep on metabolic health. Effectively, a person can have one short night of sleep. So I think it's they cut from eight hours down to six hours. And just that single short night will induce a 40% higher insulin response to the same meal or the same glucose load. So you have this acute insulin resistance. And we have seen this in our own data. And I, I certainly see this all the time. So if I if I have if I go to bed late, wake up early, and certainly if I'm stressed, you know, if let's say I go to bed late because I'm doing email and I wake up early because I need to do more email, in that situation my blood sugar will oftentimes be 20 points higher in the morning, even without any calories, 20 to 30 points higher easily. And it will sustain all day long. And not only that, but my responses to the meals I eat are that much worse. And this is because my body actually is in a state of impaired insulin resistance. So this context, when we realize that essentially diet, exercise, sleep, and stress are the levers we can pull on, and when we're compromised on one of those, 
for example, sleep, we can make up for it by sort of overcompensating with the other three, right? So, so if I'm experiencing a short night of sleep, I know I'm going to take a red eye. I know, I know I'm not going to sleep overnight on the plane. I can compensate by avoiding foods that I know I'm you know, marginally sensitive to, or by performing a little bit more exercise, or trying to practice mindfulness and stress control to prevent a, f- a furthering of the, the the sort of cortisol elevated insulin resistance environment I'm experiencing. So it's really fascinating to be able to have that real time data and and navigate almost with a dashboard in real time. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's like it sounds like it's pulling different controls, knowing what variables there are, and then being able to see okay what are the other variables are that are at play and what can you change and kind of playing with those knobs. So I think that's fascinating. You mentioned stress management through meditation. Have you seen that work for you by personally monitoring that very specific factor? And in kind of to another point, are you bringing that holistic view around sleep and stress to your users as well as glucose monitoring? And what does that look like? Yeah. So on the mindfulness front, I'm very new to the meditation practice. So I haven't yet really, uh, I think, seen the benefit what I do know is that I've seen the opposite. So I've seen the detrimental effects when I allow stress to get way out of control. And it's pretty amazing. So a, a single very stressful event, and we can we can say like a meeting that is make or break. I have had my blood sugar spike to over 140, which is a, a response to a sugary meal. It's a pre-diabetic response to a sugary meal. And that's without any calories, just from stress. Essentially, my body is flooding with cortisol. And cortisol is a, it's a fight or flight hormone. And it tells my liver to start producing energy, like make sure there's energy available to for my muscles because something bad is happening and I need to escape probably. So this is the environment that I'm producing in my body, but I'm sitting at a desk. And and so that's a really destructive situation to be in. It's perfectly fine if I'm, you know, in, in a stressful workout and I'm, you know, I'm pushing really hard in the gym or something, that energy is going to be used. But when I'm sitting stationary, it's producing all of the bad side effects of metabolic dysfunction that I don't want. So by seeing that and recognizing the connection between stressful circumstances and my body's response to them, I recognize the need for more control over my my own uh, sort of mindfulness and presence. Because ultimately, if I can adjust that stress response and I can bring my cortisol environment down, or at least like very quickly modify it if if something gets out of my control, I, I think I can exert a positive benefit over time. And breathing work is really interesting. I've I've heard of, you know, several anecdotes from people using continuous glucose monitoring that a simple ten minute practice of controlled breathing oftentimes even less with like the Wim Hof method is one can completely, it, it can basically like drop a blood sugar spike very quickly, which is pretty fascinating. I, I don't yet have that degree of, of control myself, but it's something I, I certainly want to hone. That's awesome. Josh, can you talk a little bit more about the future of levels? You touch on it a little bit. Ideally, what would you like to do and how would you guys like to expand from tracking glucose to other pieces? And what are the limitations to that right now based on the technology and where it's at? We're very focused on bringing actionable data to the end user and ensuring that whatever data we do present is formulated such that behavior change can be built on top of it. So there are a ton of amazing companies right now that are focusing on holistic wellness. And, you know, these are zero fasting. Our friend Kevin Rose is working on that. Other other meditation apps like Calm and Headspace, et cetera. We've got a ton of fascinating sleep products like Aura and Whoop and Eight Sleep, which is like a, a full thermoregulation bed. And it's it's really cool to see all of this data being available. And each of it, each of these is a micro-optimization in and of itself. But you know, what we're focused on doing is is really bringing together that health stack into something that is kind of 
in context with a continuous goal, which in this case is metabolic fitness. So we are incorporating activity data from wearables and we're, we're working right now on our sleep integration. And we will introduce direct integrations with some of those companies I just mentioned to, to play directly with APIs such that we can bring, bring the data in in a native format. But right now, our sole focus is to really nail the journey, the user journey, such that when someone leaves this program, they understand exactly how those four levers, diet, exercise, sleep, and stress, affect them in, in proportion. And the additional peripheral data is, is really interesting and we want to get there. But right now, you know, at this stage in the company, we still haven't capitalized effectively on glucose alone. There's so much left to uncover on glucose dysregulation. And you know, we will bring additional analytes in, into the program that can give deeper insight into other molecules beyond glucose that, that are circulating in the body. And you know, there's just a ton of work to do here in our clinical research strategy with Dom D'Agostino, who I mentioned at the beginning, actually, that, that paper I read while I was at SpaceX, he has since joined the medical research team at Levels, which is huge and like a very personally cool thing. <laughs> but he and Ben Dickman and, and Molly Maloof and, and several others are pushing our clinical research strategy forward, which is essentially the goal there is to demonstrate the outcomes over time. So as people are, are focusing on optimizing metabolic fitness, how does that translate into other biomarkers of health and into longitudinal results? And, and so we, we're very focused on, on you know, ultimately following the science. We are a, a very data-driven company. We're a team of technical and, and science-oriented folks. And there's a lot of, in the world of health and wellness, there's a lot of fluff. And it's very cool because there are a key, I think there's a, there's a key stack of organizations that drive data into behavior change. And we want to work closely with them and validate in the clinical environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was listening to Stanford's neurobiology professor, Andrew Huberman, yesterday at Stanford, and he was giving a talk. He was, he was mentioning he has like a breathing method where it's two sharp inhales and one exhale. I was wondering how it would affect your glucose levels. And then another question, there are so many different variables besides glucose. How are you guys thinking about helping your users be able to think beyond glucose and make sense of all the other complex variables in their life that are also affecting glucose as well? Yeah. Basically, our bodies can run on a few, a few different things. The primary molecules of energy are fat, glucose, and uh, the, the third one is protein, but it's, uh, protein is kind of a building block. I, I kind of think the third energy and, uh, nutrient is, is ketones, which are you can produce ketones if you're either eating a high fat diet, which is inducing ketone production, or if you're fasting. So those are the three energy molecules. And I think we will definitely incorporate better insight into the availability of fat as an energy molecule. So probably some ketone metrics. There's a fascinating company called Biosense that is working on a, a or they've produced a clinically valid uh, breath acetone monitor, which essentially is measuring the the ketones that your body is burning actively. And you can measure this just by breathing into their device. That's as opposed to having to prick your finger. And, and so I think we're going to you know, hopefully have ketones into our program very soon. And that will nicely show you know, whether you are in a fat burning state or a, a sugar burning state. You know, the glucose and ketone index or ratio there is really helpful to tell us that. And then I think there, you know, there's going to be a lot of innovation on the continuous platform as well. I, I think we're going to see continuous ketones. We'll likely see uh, lactate which would be very interesting, certainly for weight loss programs and for athletics. And beyond that, in the five to 10 year range, I think we're going to have some nice breakthroughs in the hormone measuring space. So we'll be able to have insight into cortisol, insulin, potentially adrenaline, and a lot of these others that essentially you know, really are the neurotransmitters. They're, they're the things that we experience. That's the quality of life stuff. The experiential hormones are the ones that I, are, to some extent, a holy grail of measurement. So right now we can measure the, the easy molecules that are related to, to energy production, but 
with time, we'll also be able to measure those that are influencing mood and influencing essentially sensation. Not to get too deep into it, but it sounds like quite a bit of time. You put that on the 10-year horizon. So what are the current things that are preventing us from tracking those pieces? I'm sure there's a lot. Well, yeah, you, you know, it's there are technical challenges for sure to, to measuring molecules like insulin and, and cortisol. They have a very short uh, sort of half-life in the body for the most part. And besides that, they, they don't often make it to the surface of the skin. And you need to have uh, reliable antibodies that react with them in order to me- measure them in certain. It, it kind of depends on the approach that you're taking to measure. But the point is there ultimately has not been enough of a focus in the space of metabolic fitness. You know, we, we've seen this with CGM. You know, continuous glucose monitoring is extremely fascinating for a huge swath of the population, no matter, you know, basically from, from athletes all the way to people who want to lose 100 pounds, right? Everyone is, has a metabolism. Everyone can be making optimizations to create better energy environments for themselves and uh, to, to improve their lifestyle choices. So we, you know, we only have just seen a focus on this space despite all of the potential. And that trickles down to these even less understood molecules like like hormones, right? We we talk a lot about cortisol, and I'm sure some of us have, have heard quite a bit about insulin, but it's not something that we focus on at the consumer level. It's not something that we demand. And so I, I just think, frankly, innovation hasn't happened because there hasn't been enough attention on the space. It, it is by no means an impossibility. And ultimately, you know, that 10-year horizon, I could easily see that accelerating and, and being closer to, to the two to five-year timeframe for all of the above that I just listed. And, and it's really up to kind of up to us. You know, we, we need to demonstrate that, that people want this and that people can use it and, and that the outcomes are beneficial. So, you know, we have a lot of anecdotes and uh, certainly this is a very nascent space. You know, our company has been around for a year. Many people have really changed their lives. They have completely changed their day-to-day behaviors as a result of just a single molecule. And I think as we add more context and, and a richer understanding of the molecular metabolic environment of each individual, we will see even better return on, on these very simple behavior changes, right? So that's kind of how, how I see it happening is that there will be a feedback loop between the sort of tip of the spear consumer side. As people start to adopt this, we're going to get really strong evidence and additional analytes will start to trickle out of the hardware and innovation centers and straight into the hands of people who can use them to, to get healthier. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. So to wrap this up, what are some resources people can start looking into for those who are interested in, in this field? How would they learn more about it? Well, insulin resistance is ultimately the the biggest thing that we're facing. So glucose dysregulation is essentially a side effect of our bodies not effectively using insulin. And so I would highly recommend a few books. The newest one and one I'm most jazzed about right now is Why We Get Sick by Ben Dickman from BYU. Definitely give that a read. Yeah, I actually just purchased that based on your last podcast. Yes. It's fantastic. It's pretty crazy how how deeply insulin resistance runs and, and the number of yeah, the, the number of ways that it can affect us. So that's a, a great one. And then the diabetes code and the obesity code, and actually the cancer code just came out. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited for it. All three of those are by Dr. Jason Fung. And those are they're really brilliant books and, and they bring the hormonal theories to light in, in a really amazing way. So those are another a great couple of resources. And then listening to folks like Dr. Peter Atia on The Drive podcast, Tom Diagostino, Ben Bickman, Dr. Rhonda Patrick does an amazing job explaining the metabolic system. So all those podcasts are fantastic. Hers has found my fitness, by the way. And then definitely want to pitch the Levels blog. So if you go to our website, you'll see the blog post up there. And we really focus on translating all of these concepts and all of this like primary literature into approachable content that, that can describe exactly how the metabolism functions and the specific ways in which we experience it every day, both on the qualitative side and on the 
quantitative risk factors side. So definitely give the blog a look and reach out to us, give us some feedback on it. We, we are always looking to produce beneficial educational content. Awesome. And Josh, for people who want to get their hands on levels and get involved to try it out, I know you guys have a very impressive cue for being part of the beta program and you guys are preparing for launch. How would someone get in line for levels and follow levels progress as well? Yeah, so we have a wait list right now, but you can you know, definitely sign up for that through the website. It's right on the homepage there. And we're essentially inviting people into the beta program from that wait list primarily. And we will be over time as, as we get closer and closer to our close product goals, we'll be expanding the volume into the, the beta program and then eventually we'll be launching sometime in 2021. So you can, you can stay up to speed on all of that through, through the newsletter, which we also released through the, the wait list there. And follow along on, on, on social. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Levels. It's a great way to keep up to speed with how the, the beta users are, are kind of moving through and see some testimonials from people who are using it in real time. Awesome, Josh. I'll definitely link all of those resources in the episode description for our podcast. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. It was really fascinating to interview you and hear about Levels and the important work you are doing. So thank you again. Thank you, Iris. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imagine Human. Our goal is to inspire you to think differently about how technology can improve well-being for everyone. If you are interested in learning more about Levels, please visit their website at levelshealth.com. If you liked this episode, please share, like, and subscribe. We really encourage you to check out our previous episodes on imaginehuman.com, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Also, did you know that you can actually listen to our podcast on Alexa? Just say, hey, Alexa, play Imagine Human. Until next time, have a great day.